Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whosoever fears, fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. We are witnesses of all these, of all things which he, he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him, God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. Not to all people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Certainly something the adults saw this morning. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Sound familiar? To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Now while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed we're astonished, as many as came with Peter, uh, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and then they asked him to stay for a few days. Lord, in this episode, in this event that we see, we see the Gentiles being brought in to the church. We see them being brought in in equal status. In the formulation of the one true church in Christ. And so help us as we open this word to Embrace the great truth that comes from it and rejoice in our participation in it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Pentecost is tied very much to Christ's ascension. Sometimes we think of them as different things. But Pentecost would not happen unless Christ had ascended. And it is the fulfillment of what he promised in John chapter 14, as to what would happen should he ascend, should he go from them. So in John 14 and in verse 15, we have Jesus saying these things. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he... 
He will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then in chapter 15 and verse 7, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, it shall be done for you. But by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all things you've heard from my Father I've known to you, given you to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should remain. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. These things I have commanded you, that you love one another. These will be a sign that the Spirit has come upon them. He said then in verse chapter 16, But I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. All that Jesus promised then comes into fruition. With his ascension comes then the coming of the Holy Spirit. So they're inextricably tied to Christ's ascension. With the coming of the Holy Spirit. So we say that Pentecost really was a proof of the ascension. Because the falling and coming of the Holy Spirit at that time was proof that Christ now had ascended. That is not to say the Holy Spirit was not present prior to this. Or he was present from creation. Present throughout the Old Testament. 
Even David in the Psalms prayed, do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. I think one of the dumbest things I, I think I've ever heard somebody say was, uh, there is no work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. I thought, what Bible are you reading? Uh, it's constant. I mean, it's the prophets all, all spoke of the Spirit. Uh, so many instances of this. So throughout the Old Testament and into the New, it is the ministry of the Spirit that will be brought to the forefront. And as that ministry is brought to the forefront, there's also the fact that the ministry of the Holy Spirit will also be seen in the exalting of Christ. He will glorify me, Jesus said, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We have seen the outpouring of the Holy Spirit so far as we've come through here. Uh, with First, it came upon the Jews in chapter 2, and we saw then it took place with the Samaritans in chapter 8. And here in chapter 10, we will see the outpouring uh, come upon the Gentiles. Now, one of the things that I think is interesting when we think about the Holy Spirit is sometimes it seems like the Holy Spirit gets the least recognition. But Jesus made it clear one of the major works of the Holy Spirit is to exalt Christ. So the Holy Spirit's not there to exalt himself, but to point us to Christ. Now this outpouring on, on the Gentiles is the significance is great. For not only does it follow the sequence of Christ's command for the spread of the gospel, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the outer parts, it also undeniably brings all people, all peoples into equal status in the church. The dividing walls of ethnicity, of language, of geography, they are all broken down. Now it's only one people, a universal church as we confess to each and every week in Ephesians 4, in verse 4, Paul says there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all, and in you all. It is, again, what we confess in the creed. We believe in one holy Catholic that is universal and apostolic church that is built upon the foundation of the apostles teaching Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. So Peter comes to the house of a Roman centurion, a Gentile. He's been summoned to bring the gospel to them. That summons has come through the Lord. And so he preaches Christ to them. And as he's preaching Christ to them, something very wonderful begins to happen. While he was speaking these words, while 
using the ordinary means of grace that God has ordained for the giving of the gospel. Here they're being applied, first and foremost, the preaching of the word, what he's doing. We see first then the work of the word. Some time ago, I listed the ordinary means God uses to bring his grace to his people, the preaching of the word, the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism, and prayer. Afterwards, as folks were leaving, someone said to me, well, you forgot singing. I didn't forget singing. Singing's not one of the means of grace. What do you mean it's not? Singing is not a means of grace. It's an expression of grace being received. And that's a big difference. We sing, why? Because of what Christ has done for us. Peter brought six men with him from Joppa. They weren't there to serve as his choir. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, what about baptism and the Lord's Supper? Are not these expression of grace received? Well, yeah, but baptism, when it's conducted, if people are watching, it's a profession of faith, and it's an illustration of being buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. It's an expression of the gospel. It, in baptism, the gospel basically is being given and illustrated. And the same with the Lord's Supper, that when you're thinking about the body and the blood of Christ and what they have done, again, the gospel is presented in the presentation of the elements. <clears throat> but we think <clears throat> music is important, of course. It's very important. It's instructive. It's very useful. But we don't see any case or instance of anyone in Scripture being brought to salvation by song. That's not the appointed means for salvation. It is by the Word of God. Now, in much of evangelicalism and cultists, cultism in their music, Music is used in ways that it's not designed to be used. But I challenge you, go ahead and look through every instance in the book of Acts, for example, in all three outpourings. Not a word was sung. Peter had no invitation him, gave no altar call. In fact, it was just the opposite. We see here that while he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on those who were listening. While he was still speaking, now, if he was typical evangelical, wait, folks, wait, I'm not done. When I finish, we'll have the song, and you'll have your opportunity. No, it's not that way. See, the, all these things are things that man has added. And you notice what we were talking about today in the questions in the catechism. We're not supposed to add things 
There's not supposed to be additions of men onto the things that God has called out for us to do. The Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. So the Holy Spirit came upon who? All those who did what? Heard the word. All who heard the word. This truly and brilliantly illustrates what an effective instrument of God's power that the preaching of the gospel is. We lost track of that. Generally, it's the thing now for most people. Can you cut the message down to 12 minutes? Because we want to sing more. We want to do these other things. But people can't pay attention like they used to. And all that thing that came up with, well, you know, you got a whole generation of people that were raised on Sesame Street. All right, so we got a bunch of lefties that we got to move to the right. Well, they just can't pay attention to you. Well, I don't know about you, but I was raised on cartoons on Saturday morning. And they had commercial breaks, like every 10 minutes or something like that. So does that mean, well, you know, the best you can hope for the people raised on cartoons is just 10 minutes. And I've always laughed at that kind of notion. Well, you get this generation, you know, they've been raised on Sesame Street. So ding, 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 you know, things are happening very fast. And then they play computer games for hours at a time. Never taking their eyes or breaking their attention from what is going on. We need to stop making excuses for people. And to realize that if you're really interested in something, you'll pay attention to it. The same Sesame Street people that they talk about will binge watch their favorite show for hours at a time. Paying real close attention to every detail. So it's nonsense, and it's a, it's a really weak excuse to say, well, you know, they're raised this way. Well, you brought up in a classroom. You went to school in a classroom. Did, did the teacher every 10 seconds change the topic. Did we, did we change the classroom time to eight minutes? And you'll have eight minutes in geography. And you'll have eight minutes in math. Well, that's enough. And so here you, you have the effective instrument of God's power preaching of the word. And I defy anybody to find something else that God used otherwise in the salvation of souls. You, you don't find it. Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 3 and verse 2. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And so the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Now, there were those who, as Calvin said, heard it with outward ears. They heard it externally, but they didn't hear it inwardly. But those who receive the eternal word 
inwardly with the secret power of the Spirit, those are the ones being pointed to here. And this produced what was commonly said to be the unexpected results of the word. That's our, our second aspect as we're looking through this. The unexpected results of the word. I can't help but think, remember when Peter was in prison. He's in prison and everybody's upset and they're, so they all have a long prayer meeting for Peter. Everybody's praying, God, release Peter, release Peter. Peter's in prison. What happens? Chains fall off. Door opens. He leaves. And so he comes to the gate of the house where the people are praying. And the girl comes out to the gate and she sees Peter and she runs back in the house screaming it's a ghost. The very thing that they were praying for is standing right before them and they have a hard time accepting the fact that their prayers have been answered. That's really Peter? So verse 45, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter. Now we learn from chapter 11 and verse 12, there were six of those who, six who accompanied Peter. They're the, un, they're the circumcised believers that came with him. Those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter. The fellow Jews who had come to faith in Christ, we read here that they were astonished. Astonished. Why were they astonished? Why? Did they think that nothing would come of this? Oh yeah, we'll go with Peter to these Gentiles and he'll preach and then we'll go back home. Did they think nothing would come of it? Did God summon Peter to this place for a mere religious exercise? But here we're given more information. Why were they amazed or astonished? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Old errors die hard. They thought the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was a particular event for the Jews. You know, there are particular groups of people who today believe they have the market cornered with regard to the Holy Spirit. And they think they have written the book on how to make the Holy Spirit be poured out on people. A whole bunch of little Simon Maguses running around. We bought the Holy Spirit, and now we can sell them wherever we want to. And so if you don't sing or gyrate or babble as they do, then you're just one of the frozen chosen. Christ sends his spirit. 
Christ sends his spirit. Who sends the spirit? Christ sends his spirit. His Holy Spirit's not conjured, nor is he manipulated, nor is he formulated. Seven steps to have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't work that way. And these Gentiles then, they're speaking languages. Languages that actually exist, but they had not previously learned them. Just as it happened in Pentecost. See, that's the thing. That's the key to understanding what's going on. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. And then Peter says, they have received the Holy Spirit just as we, so he's referring back to the day of Pentecost. What happened at Pentecost, we've, we've understood that people were speaking when they said they were speaking in tongues. They were speaking in known languages and even right down to the dialect of the area that it was used. Just what happened in Pentecost? What are they saying? What are they saying? Well, I have no idea what they're saying. They're just going on and on. No, 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 no. They understood what they were saying. So they spoke in languages that were understood. How do we know that? Because we heard them speak in tongues and magnify God. So they knew the content of what was being said while these people were speaking languages they had not learned. So it wasn't an intelligible, unintelligible babble. It was the fact you could hear them in a language Glorifying God. God had given to the Gentiles the very same thing he had given to the Jews. And the purpose being now that there would be indisputable evidence to declare that the Gentiles were adopted equally unto the same covenant. It was interesting that Peter brought six men with him. I wonder why he chose six. Remember, how is truth supposed to be established? In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let it be established. So Peter has double the number of witnesses necessary to establish the fact that the Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit exactly as the Jews had received it. So the third thing that we look at here is a shared sacrament. So in verse 47, Peter says, Can anybody forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they asked him to stay for a few days. So just... As the Jews who came to believe were baptized, so also in the same manner, and for the same reason, the Gentiles would now be baptized. Here Peter gives the command, and those who were with him did the baptizing. 
Can anybody forbid water, he says. And all who were baptized were those who had heard the word. They believe now in Christ and now would express union with him through baptism. And so notice in verse 48, he commanded them to be baptized. <clears throat> oh boy, boy, but here's the problem, isn't it? <clears throat> he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. In Acts chapter 2, in the name of Jesus. What's going on? In chapter 19 and verse 5, same thing, baptize them in the name of Jesus. Now this has led some, especially those who have a very weak understanding or distrust of the teaching of the Trinity, to say, go through the whole book of Acts. I've even seen a bumper sticker in the book of Acts. It never says... It only says baptize them in the name of Jesus. It doesn't say baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When well, Matthew 28 and verse 19, Jesus sets down a set of rules. We called it the Great Commission. Notice what he said. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. So first, what do we have? Jesus commands what? Baptism. Baptism of who? Disciple, believers. All right, so how will you baptize them? What's the form, formula? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So he establishes baptism as a perpetual sacrament. And then he commands it to be done to disciples, that is, believers, and to be done in the formula of this, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So when we read in Acts, in the name of the Lord or in the name of Jesus, what are we seeing? We're seeing that it is to be done under the authority of Jesus. in accordance with what Jesus has commanded to be done. Jesus gives the authority to the... People say, why are you baptizing? Why are you baptizing? Jesus commanded us to baptize. So when they say in the name of Jesus, it's under the authority of what Jesus had commanded. And not the formula for how it is to be implemented. That's an important point to understand because it gets confused. The formula is given to us in Matthew 28 in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The authority is given by Jesus who says baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So again, if people were to ask, why are you baptizing because Jesus commanded it. It's the authority. So when you're baptizing in the name of Jesus, 
you're baptizing under his authority, not by the formula that these people think that brings about. All right, then, a few things, a few uses that we can take from this. First, the God-given power of the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You can't get around it. It doesn't say anything else in, in Scripture contrary to that. Just this one thing keeps coming over and over and over again. The God-given power to the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. How was creation? How did it come into being? God spoke. What did he speak? Words. So by the word of God, creation came about. And guess what? By the word of God, recreation, being born again, comes about as well. Comes by the word of God alone. Secondly, we see that Peter said, can anybody forbid water that you should not be baptized? And he commanded them to be baptized. But we notice it's on the basis of what God has done. Peter's not taking control of the situation. He's just seeing what's taken place. And in doing so, it's not what Peter commands, but Peter only responds obediently to what had happened to the people. Thirdly, we find that they asked him to stay for a few days. Don't love us and leave us. Here was another sign of the work of God. The work of God on the people because it wasn't just an event. And they said, okay, we're one and done. We had the big experience. We've been baptized. Let's go back. Let's just live like we normal. They couldn't live that way anymore. They've been changed and there's a hunger and they want to know more because they're still, they're just babes. Babes in the work. And they want grow just like a, a nursing child cries out to be fed so these young believers new believers were great in hunger and sought Peter to stay and teach them teach them some more that's a great sign of the work of the spirit when there's a hunger instilled in the people to know more fourth once again confronted with the reality of believers baptism Several sermons I've done in the past through this points to the same pattern. As you go through this book, and you see in verse 47, who is it to be baptized? Those who have received the Holy Spirit. Those who are believers, they are the ones to be baptized. Those who have received believers' baptism. Some of our Presbyterian friends make very excellent arguments for, for infant baptism. And I think, well, maybe they're onto something until I read. And there's something about the word that won't let me go and holds me to the fact that every instance that I see of people being baptized in the New Testament, they're being baptized because they believe. And then, fifthly, 
No. The ones that came to Peter were astounded. They were astonished. <laughs> How like so many. Lost their confidence in the word and how it will work. Again, those six with Peter were not his praise band. But I wonder as well, where are we in our trust of the word? And do we often think sometimes that the word not going to penetrate certain areas. It won't impact certain people. It's not going to bring certain types to faith. I read this week about a drag queen who had been brought to faith in Christ. Now you see him up there doing their immoral, ugly, God-defying stuff, and you say, let them burn. But somebody said, there's a soul there. And they preached and taught of Christ to this person. And their lives were changed. But we would normally look and say, no hope for them. What a piece of trash. Go back to Ezra. Book of Ezra. What happens? Oh, they're cleaning out the temple. There's a lot of stuff in there that doesn't belong there. A lot of things to other gods and various things. And all of a sudden, somebody says, hey, we're cleaning the temple. You know what we found? We found a copy of the law of God. Where'd you find it? In the temple. Well, golly! You found the word of God in the temple? But they're all amazed until they start reading it. And Ezra gets up and it, so much of what we do is... is Based on that, what does he do? He gets up on a platform. And he reads the word of God. And what does he do? As he reads the word of God, he gives the sense, the meaning, the understanding to the people. And the people stood. They didn't sit in cushy pews. They stood for three to four hours without a single complaint. And probably would have said, stood there longer had they gone on. Because they couldn't get enough of the word of God. It changed these people. It's changed everyone here who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will continue to do so. And we must say, do we have a trust in the word of God? Have we lost because we've been so conditioned to think we need to see instantaneous results and we need to see a lot of them before we believe that it's really working? And if that's the case, then we're always going to have problems because when you put a seed in the ground, it doesn't sprout the next hour. 
It takes time. It, Paul says, I planted it. Apollos watered. But the Lord is the increase. When we tell people, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're saying to you today, please don't leave here without believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not because we want to see more people in the pew, although that would be nice. We want to see the word of God do the work of God in the people of God. Let's stand together for prayer.